Hello folks, I'm Katie. I'm Vinny, and this is Learn Real Good. Welcome back. Welcome back. Back in the flash. <laughs> back in the flash. I don't know. You know that what? That famous saying. As soon as I put these headphones on, I yeah. become a different person. <laughs> Just words fail you. <laughs> Just random noises. And I want to sound like a morning DJ, so I'm always oh. like, ooh, this is my voice. What Welcome to yeah. Learn Real Good yeah. in the morning. It's not the morning. It's not the we morning. We never record in the morning. No, why would we? are not morning No, people. we are not. I would much rather record at like 11 p.m. <laughs> than 11 a.m. That's when we peak. <laughs> yeah, our brains are ma- maximally awake, probably around 10 to 11 o'clock Have you o'clock ever been night. a morning person, Vinny? No, never. No way. Never, never, yeah, never. neither. Not once. Like, I remember as like a teen, uh, I would sleep until noon, mm. one. The good days. The good days. Yeah. Yeah. Not anymore. No, and you know what? Sometimes I'm forced to get up really early for work, and really early for me is like six. Anything right. earlier than eight for me is ungodly early. Right, yeah, for roosters only. <laughs> for roosters only. And if I can, if I sleep, which is a whole big if with right. me, uh, I actually feel awesome about it. Something so fantastic about having all that time during light hours. <laughs> <laughs> when you wake up early yes. and you're like, oh, I'm awake. It's like, but, oh, a whole region of this yeah, day that I don't normally 100%. live in. It's yeah. like I did everything by noon. What? <laughs> But I cannot make myself do it of my own volition. No. I can't. I never have. I've given up. No, neither of us are morning people. We're not morning people. No. No way. <laughs> That's what we came to talk about. <laughs> You're listening to Learn Real Good, which is a, believe it or not, science comedy podcast. podcast where we shoot the breeze and share some facts. That's so what we're up we're to We're right fact now. sharing. That's a radio DJ voice <laughs> is coming out today. It's all the headphones. <laughs> what have you been up to, Vinny? What, um, what's on your mind? You know what's on my mind? I'm uh, thinking about sweaters. <laughs> And this is why, because summer's ending here, and it's it's my favorite part of the year. Which every is time we try sweater. to not mention seasons because of our complicated recording release sure. schedule, but here we go again. Well, I just want to talk about sweaters, and <laughs> I'm going to give context sweaters. for it. Sure, okay. Because it's because I'm ready. I want my sweater game mm. is 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 good. And this is I'm, probably coming out in December. That's fine. <laughs> I'll have sweaters for December too. <laughs> okay. I got seasonal sweaters. I got. February sweaters. Why do you like sweaters, Vinny? I mean, they're comfy. They're yeah. cozy. It's like it's like being in a bed, but all day long. Oh. And that's the best. Like a nice cozy quilt. I was just thinking they should make like duvet sweaters. sweaters. But I guess that's a bubble that's just one of down those, jacket. Yeah, down jacket. That's what <laughs> it is. Because they've done that. That's why they're popular. It's like you're in bed. <laughs> I don't know. They feel crinklier. I think someone could really nail sure. like a, like a, a like, cotton. Oh, like a flannel line down jacket. Yeah. That's and if you, if you get wet, you're like 5,000 yeah. pounds. But that's, you know what Sherpa lining is. Ooh. That's that's what that feels like. It's but not like, real Sherpa lining. That's, that's cruel. cruel. Yeah. yeah. All right. Is it time for facts? <laughs> I spending? think it's time for facting. Let's do it. Who's first? I think it's going to be me. <gasps> it's going to be Ben. <laughs> yeah, finally. <laughs> um, are you familiar with outer space? No. All right. Barely. Barely. <laughs> From what you've told me already in previous facts <laughs> on this show. Well, do you know about the Voyager satellites? Is that a, it's a Star Trek Voyager, right? Uh, no, I know TV the Voyager yes. satellites. Okay, yes. so there's Voyagers 1 and 2. They were launched uh-huh. in the late 70s. Right. Uh, taking advantage of a... Uh, an alignment of the planets so that the satellites would go from one to the other to the other mm. and they get gravitationally slung slingshot from one to the other and so that there was like a tiny window they're like oh this is coming mm. up we gotta launch it so they built them they launched them big success sent back images tons of data uh, magnetic readings really successful and they've been going since the set this is like they're 45 years old plus wow uh and we can still contact them they're traveling like at this ridiculous speed 
but we can still hear them like wow. super faint transmissions but you know what we can cut because th- we know what frequency they're transmitting it hmm. we can cut through it and we still get information from those the batteries are running down and so they've there's a m- many instruments on these machines but uh, as the battery runs down and the heaters run up because mm-hmm. they need to be at a certain temperature they have to shut down instrument after mm. instrument because they don't have any more energy left to, to where, run them. Where ish are they? So uh, it, are they in our solar system beyond? There, so there's a, a bit of debate, but it technically they out past the heliopause, which is where the sun stops pushing things out. Which so, is where ish so for those of us who don't know the heliopause. It's, where-ish it's, is it's very far <laughs> past Pluto. Okay, so okay, past, so okay, okay, well okay. past Pluto. Okay. So if you want to think. Old All school right. solar, Past our solar system. Yeah. It, here's how far it is. It's 22 hours for a a message to get from here to Voyager Oof. at the speed of light. Wow. So 22 light hours away. Okay. And then to receive, it's another 22 hours. So if that we, makes sense. It's like a two day transmission line. Ugh, annoying. Well, here's what some interesting happened with Voyager. Okay. Recently, it started sending back really garbled data <gasps> about where it is. It's possessed. That's right. Yeah, the ghost has taken over the satellite. Space ghosts from coast to coast. Uh, No, uh, well, it started transmitting weird data. Now, Mm. here's here's what's interesting about that. The machine is still working because it's still transmitting. And it's really only the data that says where it's pointing. So it needs to orient itself in space. And it does that by looking at one star and saying, I'm looking at this star. It's right in the center. And so now I know where to point my antenna to get back to Earth. Because if you're off by a little bit, forget it. We're not picking up any signal. Hmm. And so it's only this one instrument that says, I'm, I'm supposed to be pointing at this star. Now it's coming back. Blah, 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 blah. It's just garbled. Totally wow. nonsense. But it's transmitting to the right spot. It's giving good information uh, on its instruments. It's just this thing, this one instrument that says where, where it's pointing is coming back garbled. Huh. Uh, and it was really mysterious. Uh, but they figured out what was wrong. <gasps> what? Tell us. It was the machine, the instrument that was supposed to report that information, was reporting it to a wrong computer. And oh, a computer boy. that had previously been shut down for corruption. And so it was sending that corrupted information over to the bad computer, and that computer was broadcasting it back to Earth. So it was sending nonsense. Whoa, back. crazy. And they don't know why it switched over. They don't know what triggered it. And the machine has fail-safe. So like, if something goes critically wrong it like goes to reboot you know like safe mode like if you old computers would reboot in safe mode Mm -hmm. so these machines have a safe mode but it wasn't going into safe mode so the failure was of a very particular nature this reminds me of the time that we found a ghost in our house have i told you this? no tell me about that please (laughs) i would love to hear about the ghost in your house i was in my brother's room which is against me and my sister's room as kids. Yeah. Like the, the closets, sort of the backs of the closets are next to each other. That's pivotal to the story. And we heard some crazy sounds in my brother's room. It's like, we're like, oh my God, it's aliens. There's an alien in the closet. And we went to the closet and put our head against the back wall of the closet. We could hear the sound. It was really freaking creepy. And so we went to investigate my closet, which is on the opposite side. And my sister's tape recorder was like rewinding. Whoa. But it, it sounded like a ghost. Did you figure out what was causing it? I just told you what it was. The tape recorder was rewinding. Yeah, but why was it rewinding? A ghost pressed the button. <laughs> That's <laughs> so what I was doing. Oh, I forgot to mention. Forgot yeah, the there was a ghost. There it the is. ghost pressed the button. <laughs> All right. That's a great fact. Wow. Yeah, so, but they're still worried because the... 
they're not sure why it did mm. that and it could cause another problem if they can't solve wow. it so they they can actually send updated instructions to it they can communicate in two ways so they told it to like hey stop sending your information to that computer it's broken and now it's fixed but now they're like okay well why did it do that so they're still working on that problem wow very cool very cool uh, are you ready for my fact? I would love I have a more. fact. And it has to do with sound as well. Oh, I love Interesting. sound. Interesting. We have this pattern. Is it about fish. ghosts? No. Ghost fish. fish. When you think of fish sounds, what do you think of? <laughs> <laughs> what fish makes that sound, Vinny? All of them. The ones with tongues? Okay. <laughs> well, I don't know that they do that much. Oh. Uh, I How about mean, this one? Bop, 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 bop. Do you think that makes a sound? Underwater probably does. Well... Not, not really. Oh. Well, at least for a long time, we thought fish don't make much sounds. Okay. I mean, they don't have a voice box. Wow. <laughs> when you think of sounds underwater, you think of like whales and other cetaceans, right? Like dolphins and, and, and killer whales and yeah. those sorts of That's things that I make sounds. Of. But yeah. they're, you know, mammals. So they have different apparatus. They go like this. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what a whale sounds <laughs> like. But there are some fish that make sounds. Okay. For example, there's the Atlantic croaker. Uh, that makes sounds by vibrating muscles against their swim bladder, which is the basic organ that became, quote unquote, lungs okay. for, for the rest of us. The they croaker? Sort of Does it sound like a croak? Well, I guess that's why they called it that. And then there's the grunts. The grunters. Which rub their pharyngeal teeth together. That, that makes sound. Oh, wow. But for a long time, we thought like it was the exception to the rule. Okay. There's not a lot of fish making sounds. Again, okay. they, most of them lack most fish lack like sound lungs, things. so they don't have the stuff to make it. Right. But sound is pretty important for communication, it's right? It's pretty easy, right? <laughs> we do it all the time. Yeah, you can't get the, me to stop. We do it in the air. We do it in the water. Yeah. <laughs> right? We use it for finding mates. We've sent it for, for warnings, all this stuff. And so recently... Here comes the fact. Uh, a researcher did like a big meta-analysis. So what that is, is when you look at all the journals and you sort of, you're pulling out all the ones that mention fish sounds. Yeah. And they were able to find that vocalizations in fish have arisen at least 33 different times. Oh. That is, it evolved 33 in different. different times. Oh, wow. Yes. Compare that to other vocalizing organisms where it evolved like once on each sort of line that okay. led to, you know, mammals and birds and, and all these other things. There's that a name sounds. for that, right? Like convergent evolution? What's it called? Uh, when it when what, something evolves multiple, multiple times, times? It, that, that leads to convergent evolution. Okay. Yes. So that's... That's in opposition to uh, divergent evolution, where you have something and it changes over time. Okay. Anyway, but so so it's very cool that it evolves so many times. It couldn't be just to chance. It's more likely that it's being used more than we recognize. Mm. So we've only sort of seen the tip of the iceberg in terms of what sounds fish make and how they use them. Yeah. Um, but this actually reminded me of another fact. Yes. <laughs> I'm all about personal anecdotes today. Good. I love them. Um, I, it made me think of this vertebrate physiology course I had Why in undergrad. Um, where we had this professor who, there was a textbook for the course, I remember, but we never used it. And every lecture, this is in the early aughts, folks, where PowerPoints were all over them. I mean, they still are a very common sure. way of teaching at the post-secondary level. Yeah. They were very common then. This guy, no. He would just stand in front of the class with his hands in his pockets in front of a chalkboard and he'd be very, very quiet and then he'd shout out the name of an organism and say like a random fact. <laughs> I, wow. I, I think I still have my notes which just look deranged because it's just me on lined paper being like, this fact, this fact. <laughs> but I remembered was, so many things from it. Was he like a human pop-up video? <laughs> That's what it felt like. It was, in retrospect, a terrible teaching method. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he I don't was, know. You just said you retained so much of it. clearly unprepared, but it was so different. I think it was the differentness of it to everything else. 
And it was just like, it'd be quiet. And he'd just yell something. He'd be like, ah, <laughs> write it down. Anyway, one of the facts was herring. So he shout out herring uh-huh. communicate by farting. Yeah, so I remember a herring communicate by farts, but that's okay. not a vocalization. That's not <laughs> but the it's type sound. Of, but it's it, yeah, sound. yeah. So I guess we're learning that uh, fish, it's it's valuable to use sound, right. right? Yeah. Yeah. So which ones do the <laughs> just the Vinny fish? <laughs> All right. Right. Yeah. I guess so. Well, that's enough of us. Yeah, those are good facts. Yeah, not so good not, not like too shabby, kind of yeah. soundy. Soundy. Yeah, we have a sound theme. Some At least transmission. We did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let me introduce our oh, guest because uh, I love it when our guests come on. I know, right? All right. Cassandra Goldfarb is just starting her second year in the PhD program in psychology at Concordia University. Currently, she's studying the role circadian clocks play in the brain Ooh. and how these clocks impact our behavior. When she's not messing around with her own circadian <laughs> rhythm, she loves paddleboarding with her dog. Hello, Cassandra. Hi. Come on down. <laughs> so the fact is right. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks for for coming to talk with us, Cassandra. Yeah, thanks for asking me. I'm really excited to do this. This is very exciting. Oh, we started talking about sleep too. That's yeah, really that's funny. Right. So, why don't we start right at the at the base of this thing? What the hell's a circadian clock? Um, I mean, <laughs> you guys were kind of talking about it before with like you're you're saying like you're night people, like you mm-hmm. won't like you'd rather work at 11 p.m. So the easiest way to think about it in terms of humans and how we live is like your chronotype so people Mm. say like oh i'm a morning person i'm an evening person all of that actually depends on your circadian rhythm so it's Mm. the 24-hour rhythm of everything that goes on inside your brain and body really everything and the purpose of it is to achieve what's called homeostasis overall health and well-being the purpose is to keep everything in your body in sync to prepare for what's coming and this is actually conserved through organisms of all types so from you know the flies to humans all of us have circadian rhythms and they all function pretty similarly whoa okay so what is the most sort of basic organism do bacteria do we know if bacteria have circadian clocks i don't know I've never actually thought about bacteria, but they're definitely at like the single cellular level. Really? Each cell oh. can produce rhythmic expression of like uh, like electric signaling and things like that. What about fungus? Is there <laughs> other fungi that have... I'm honest, I bet like something like a mushroom does. I feel like mushrooms are the one thing we can't really understand. They're so impressive. Man, yeah. They're so weird. Whoa. So is it fixed? You, so you mentioned chronotype, which I suppose is whether you have a preference for morning or night, or maybe there's yeah, in-betweeny people, I don't know. But is that... Yeah, that's what they're called. In-betweeners. <laughs> is that inborn? How does that get established? Is Ooh. it hereditary? So it does Can you change. adjust it? Yeah. Like, and you can okay. change it. It actually, in general, changes throughout your lifespan. So, like, little kids often are up at, what, like, 5 a.m., and mm. they go to sleep at 7, right. and obviously that's not entirely loved by some parents <laughs> Correct. <laughs> entirely <laughs> loved is uh, yeah. a kind way of putting not it. entirely loved <laughs> um but then as you teenage years most people sleep in a lot you're up a lot later and then as you get older you'll find like you know there's the early bird specials if you're over like 65 <laughs> and that's if you can get to breakfast before like 7 a.m right. so it does change um i don't think like people are just different it's inherent hmm. you can have different Within a family, I know, like you guys are saying, your night chronotypes. I'm definitely a morning person. I'm like good until I don't know three, four p.m. and then I feel like my brain just shuts off. Wow. 
That's what I'm ramping up. Yeah. <laughs> We're just waking up. Yeah. Now, what's the mechanism? Like, how yeah. does, is there like a little gland that does this? Is it, so uh, is there a tiny gnome? Like, honestly, it feels that way. But you actually okay. have, honest to goodness, clocks throughout your brain and body. Whoa. So they're like, led with, by with hands. <laughs> Honestly, I'm probably. Actually. It's like a little grandfather clock. <laughs> like at the like the molecular level, if you wanted to get super into it, it's through uh-huh. feedback loops. So if anyone remembers mm. the early biology, positive and negative feedback loops. Mm-hmm. And there's some core clock genes that actually like the mm. positive arm invigorates the negative arm, the in- negative arm turns off the positive arm, and then it's like a twenty four hour rhythm. But wow. there are clocks. So there's one that's sort of the like master supreme clock in the body. The main one is in your brain, in the suprachiasmatic nucleus of the hypothalamus. I knew that's where it was. <laughs> the SCN. The SCN. Honestly, <laughs> that's, I, that's where I, I would like, guess it would be. When I started studying this, I had to practice that a lot. <laughs> a lot. Acronyms will come in handy. Oh, wow. absolutely. But in the SCN so clock. Where is that? I don't know. In that your part hypothalamus. So, oh, okay. Uh, back, bottom, sort of the area of the brain that's also responsible for a lot of hormone release Hmm. and this part of the brain i mean it has direct connection to the eyes it receives like light information light Hmm. is really what resets your clock at the simplest level light is super important it's why we always Hmm. say you know if you're up at night try not to turn on lights or Hmm. like why things like shift work can be sort of hard on the body Hmm. but there's clocks throughout the rest of the brain and that's more what i study is what role do these other clocks have? Because for the longest oh. time, we thought it was sort of an over-encompassing that that SCN clock did everything and these other parts of the brain just sort of took information from that clock and then had other functions, but all their information was from that clock. But what we're actually learning is it's more like an orchestra is the easiest way to put it. So that SCN is mm-hmm. the conductor and it does tell everyone, give some information, but each like member of an orchestra is obviously autonomous being they can do their own things some more than others but so we're looking at clocks that seem to be able to function without entirely from the SCN and from other sort of information like a good example is your liver and uh, takes a lot of feeding cues so when you eat is actually a cue so that's why especially when you were in school, especially if you're thinking of like elementary school, when you'd be like 20 minutes away from lunchtime, you'd probably get really hungry. Even on the weekends, mm-hmm. if maybe that wasn't when you ate, it's because your body starts to recognize it. Oh, wow. wow. So like, say I'm, I'm waking up in the morning. Yeah. What's the circadian rhythm? What's happening? Is there like, what's happening in my orchestra? Is there hormones being yeah. sent? Or they're like, ooh, light, send this hormone. Like what's sort of Food. the pathway of, of events in basic terms i mean when you're really thinking sleep wake cycle the biggest one you're going to go to is melatonin nice i mean everyone's heard of melatonin here you can get melatonin for everything which melatonin is a really important hormone it does a lot of things in the brain and body that my uh, current like comprehensive exam topic is looking a little bit at melatonin and <laughs> it does a lot of things really scary how much it does considering that oh here in canada at least you can just sort of get it in the drugstore anywhere and just pick up like <laughs> melatonin supplements and if you know maybe something shouldn't be so quite yeah. so easily accessed it's, it's kind of like rebooting yeah. getting like oh i'm just gonna take a reboot pill. well it's like really great if you're traveling to a different time zone and you want to tell your body that like we should start because melatonin sort of tells your body it's time to start preparing for sleep 
So really great if you're traveling to a different time zone, you're on a completely different schedule. Melatonin can sort of help move along to get synchronized to the current like sleep schedule you're going to be on. Mm. But like for every day, maybe not the best thing to take like every single right. day. Mm. I've tried because I'm a I'm a bad sleeper. Period. I have I have issues with sleep at night. I'm a, a late night person. But then if I know I have to get up early, I just psychologically go into this feedback loop of horrors where I'm like, I need to go to sleep, so I can't sleep. I'm panicking about sleep. And I've tried a lot of things, including melatonin, but it hasn't seemed to work for me. I mean, Darn you, melatonin! Yeah, because melatonin just tells your body it's time, but it's not necessarily going to actually put you to sleep, which is a lot of people think it does. So that's one of the issues. What what is it that you're studying? Like, what are you looking at? Are you like telling? I just have a journal where people are waking up in the morning. Or so <laughs> ours isn't with people. We use mouse models. Okay. Um, okay. Because we actually genetically alter the clock. So okay, there's two going in ways there. to do it. They're either bred with a knockout, um, mm. and by knockout I mean we target one of those clock genes. I was saying with those feedback loops, some of them are more essential to the whole clock. All of them are core. Um, one of them, BMAL1, though, we know that when it's not functioning in those cells, the clock just doesn't work at all. Hmm. So we either genetically breed animals using this Cree-Lox recombination system, which is really confusing and I don't have to get into, but <laughs> that have it knocked out in specific parts of the brain, like the striatum, which is really important for, honestly, everything. The striatum does everything, like walking, learning emotion reward addiction all of that is linked to the striatum major diseases like parkinson's so we need it yeah it's like a hub it's like a it's an information hub okay it's like a big subway station yeah and we one of the things we were looking at is if the clock isn't functioning in that region how that impacts Mm. behavior we're currently looking at this tiny little brain region so tiny when i was first trying to figure out where it was in the brain and like looking at our, we have someone once, amazing people, mapped out the mouse atlas. And I'm like trying to find it. And it's like a speck. It's so small. Oh, wow. But I found it. And this nice. tiny little piece of the brain is. And they gave you the PhD for that, right? Oh, yeah. I honestly, I feel like I should have. It's been so long, like looking at little, like little brains trying to figure out wow. what I was even looking at. And I was like, this isn't going to happen. It's so small. Shockingly, it did happen. Took a long time. Wow. Mm-hmm. And we f- this part of the brain acts as a sort of on-off switch for dopamine expression. Potentially oh. also serotonin expression, but we're more interested right now of focusing on its role in dopamine. Dopamine being a central messenger that also plays a role in all those behaviors I talked about. Mm-hmm. So many things. Dopamine is one of the, it's a like neurotransmitter that's essential for just being able to function so we think that this part of the brain might play a really important role in how dopamine moves throughout the brain and how it's made and released Hmm. because dopamine is rhythmic too i mean everything Hmm. is rhythmic so you can really look at anything from a circadian standpoint if you just focus on the rhythmicity part of it so that's what we're doing and we look at mouse behavior on a variety of tests which are a lot of fun um, <laughs> time-consuming, but also fun just to, you know, see what happens. I feel like this is the first time I'm really, like, in a causal experiment where you do something mm-hmm. and you're like, right. okay, like, in theory, I know what might happen, but 
let's see. Let's see if it does. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's sort of been it, and just really looking into the the role of like dopamine rhythmicity and what that means for understanding, you know, neural circuitry, but also understanding its impact in health. I mean, there's so much we don't know. We we have mm-hmm. all sorts of disorders and diseases that are terrible, but we're stuck at these aspects because the brain is, despite being not the biggest thing in the world, is so not understood in so many ways. And I think that's why I sort of got into it because I was just so curious because anytime I'd ask a question in class, Ross would be like, really great question. Nobody knows yet. (laughs) And I was like, okay. It's a big mystery what's going on up in their noodles. (laughs) In their noodles. So you mentioned for these mice you use, like uh, a a strain of mice that have had part of their circadian clock knocked out. And that makes sense, right? Because you know, if you can understand what happens when it doesn't work, you can apply what happens when it does work. Do you know if there's like human disorders where there is an issue with the circadian clock at a genetic level? Like, is that something that happens with people? Absolutely. I mean, one subset of people that's studied often are people who work constant shift work like nurses Mm -hmm. or flight attendants and people have sort of studied that you know there's some studies have found there's increase in things like anxiety and depression there's increases in the likelihood of developing neurodegenerative disorders things like that just constantly and like we've shown that that's been modeled in animal models too where animals that are raised under like constant light shifting or these short day paradigms where maybe instead of getting like an equal amount of light and dark they get like a lot less light a lot more dark or vice versa and they show changes in behaviors compared to those like the controls the animals that are raised under typical standards Hmm. a lot of different disorders and diseases my current comps topic right now is on looking at the role of circadian rhythms in autism spectrum disorders Hmm. and one of the things I was just reading about is that there's these things called like single nucleotide polymorphisms, which are just like single changes in the genes of these clock genes. So things like BMA1, I was saying, there's found that in some people, there's actually changes in their actual genetic code of these genes compared to like what they would say neurotypical controls. Wow. Yeah. Like we're seeing it in humans. And most of these brain regions and the pathways you can assess through like fMRI studies that are actually conserved from like rodent models to humans. Hmm. And do we have any idea yet, Cassandra, what the link is between our circadian rhythm network not functioning typically and these outcomes? Like why, why would my circadian rhythm being goofy affect my anxiety or why would it affect having a neurogenerative disorder? Like, do we know what the link is or is that still being figured out? That's the big question. I mean, in part, that's the question. But in theory, it would it's like the lack of homeostasis. If your body isn't mm-hmm. able to stay in tune with itself, you know, right. if you're not getting the proper, like, especially if you're thinking about if a, there's a dysregulated circadian rhythm in utero or in early life, while like your brain's growing, your body's growing then maybe you're not getting enough of the neurotransmitters that act to build the brain. So something like serotonin, Hmm. for example, we know acts as like a neuromodulator. It's really important in utero and in early life. And maybe if that's not rhythmic, it's not getting to where it needs to be in the right quantities, then potentially that can cause like structural changes. It can cause like network network changes. That's amazing. Wild. And can you, what can you do to modify your circadian? Like, what are the, what are like the main fact? Like, we said light, 
diet, melatonin. like a melatonin. Like if you're out of whack, what can you do to, to fix it? Or if <laughs> you're whack. like, if you're, yeah, if you know, if you know, like you're traveling, like time zones, like sure, melatonin. But like, what can you, what can you do? I mean, I'm definitely not a doctor, so I can't give <laughs> sure. any sort of like medical advice. But I, I mean, real medical doctors will talk about sleep hygiene, sleep health, getting enough sleep. Mm. And I think that that's so important. Getting enough sleep mm. resets your clock. There's like a lot of a lot of research showing that, you know, stick to not turning on any lights when you wake up at night. That's really important. Mm. You get a lot of these alarm clocks that get bright, but it's like red light. And we do know that red light doesn't actually influence your circadian rhythm the same way that yeah. other types do, which is why a lot of alarm clocks oh, interesting. red numbers. Fascinating. Uh, I always wonder why that was. Yeah, because it actually know. doesn't influence. It like wouldn't spark like a light pulse, which would. And in case you need to develop some film. Yeah, and in case you need to develop some film when you wake up in the middle of the night, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, sleep is is important sleep for so many reasons. Would be my All best right. suggestion. And do we know why sleep? Like, what's happening during sleep that a circadian clock gets reset? So I actually took a class um, oh. with with one of my mentors in my last Conrad, where he discussed this. Like, that's one of the questions: is like, why mm. is sleep so important? And, like, especially at the animal level, people talk about that because, in theory, like, in nature, animals be vulnerable. I mean, humans before modern civilization were vul- vulnerable when they sleep. So, like, why sleep? Mm-hmm. So, it has why are to we be unconscious doing. unconscious for a third of the day. Right? Like, why? That just doesn't seem like mm-hmm. super safe. Yeah. But, I mean, in theory, that's why you have to be, like, I mean, REM sleep is restorative. So, it has to be, like, fixing networks, building new networks, you know, allowing parts of your brain to or in body to rest and rebuild in order to mm. remain healthy, which is why getting like uninterrupted sleep is important mm. enough of Maintenance it. Maintenance mode. That's why the Montreal Metro doesn't run 24 hours. You have to like <laughs> clean it up and do repairs <laughs> yeah. overnight. No, honestly, it's nice like analogy. everyone needs time to be to have downtime and to just like yeah. recuperate. So that mm-hmm. has to be the real main I guess reason. at some point, yeah, you'd break down so fast, so much faster. Yeah, otherwise we wouldn't sleep because realistically, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's got to be the most dangerous time is when you sure. can't do anything. Okay, so, fine. I'll start sleeping. It's so delicious sleeping, though. I love it. It is, yeah. It's my favorite part of the day. That, it's your that, favorite is part that of the day? a being sign of depression? <laughs> uh, um, so, so what have you seen so far, Cassandra? Can you talk about any early results? Like, what have you seen in your little mouse brains about what happens when their circadian clock's been given a punch? So, like, from the behavioral aspects of it, we've seen a lot of changes in some of our motor tech. Ooh. So, some of the things we do is, like, we put the mice on this rotor rod, which is a spinning rod that kind of acts almost as like a treadmill sort of they just have to keep walking on it at different speeds so we found some changes in endurance so like how long they can stay up our animals that had the like the experimental knockout weren't able to stay up quite as long we've also measured things like strength and coordination which we also Mm. found deficits in which is sort of why when it came to like the molecular part i'm really interested to start looking at the dopamine system just because of how much mm-hmm. we know that dopamine plays a role in motor function which is sort of how i've now come to this pathway the molecular parts are tricky and i'm working on them but <laughs> some of the early things do show that potentially there might be changes in like the substantia nigra region so gonna look into more into the substantia nigra which that part of the brain the habenula sends signals to the substantia nigra 
which then signals. Never heard of that part yeah, of the brain. I don't know the substantia nigra. Substantia nigra. nigra. Yeah. So the ventral tegmental area and the substantia nigra are where most of the dopamine is made oh. and released. That didn't help me. <laughs> the front brain, back brain, it's sort of, it's sort of mid cerebellum. To the back. No, it's definitely definitely ahead of the cerebellum. Definitely okay. ahead of the cerebellum, but uh, the cerebellum does also play a role in motor behaviors for sure, mm, especially those that like cool. you already know how to do. This sounds like super like relevant for the general person, but mm-hmm. hyper relevant if you're an athlete. Yeah. Mm. So where like like now like these high performance athletes are like training yeah. down to like their diet and to the milligram like this this whole circadian rhythm feels like it probably should also be looked into yeah i feel honestly i like joke with friends of mine in other research areas that they should also be looking at the circadian rhythms like the kind of day they do their tests could impact things and they're like mm-hmm. yeah That's yeah right. i'm like no but really but really like, absolutely the body's a clock so like they should i think professional sports teams should get a circadian rhythm expert in that's my, Hire that's Cassandra. my hot take. Hire Cassandra. <laughs> Working for the Habs. There you go. Is there anything that uh, the mice are better at? It's like, is it all bad news? Is <laughs> yeah. there anything they're like, but actually when they don't sleep, yeah, they're, is lack of sleep, they're great communicators. What are the advantages of lack of sleep? <laughs> this, is, this is key for us now. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've seen anything that's like, no, it's all I bad. It's all bad. You know? All right, yeah. final sleep. Is there a thing where you can have too much? Like I know I've noticed anecdotally myself, if I oversleep, I feel really groggy is is there but isn't that just like your rem cycle hey let like... the expert talk is that just yeah is that an issue of waking up at the wrong time or is there really a thing with our circadian clocks so we can have too much of a good thing i can't say exactly i don't study sleep but if i had to give an idea it just goes back to the rhythmicity it's that hmm. anytime you yeah, change what you do in a day it's going to yeah. take the rest of your body time to catch up because if you normally wake up at like sleep from I don't know, midnight to eight and your body's like, okay, this is when I need to start Mm -hmm. having like higher arousal levels. This is when I need to prepare my body to eat. And all of a sudden you've Mm. slept till 10. Well, then it's sort of all out of whack. I wonder if anyone's looking at Martian circadian rhythms, because if we go to Mars and it's not a 24 hour cycle. (laughs) So what happens when you're not on a 24 hour cycle? Will we have to simulate a 24 hour? Can humans adapt to whatever a 26 hour? I mean, not everything is is a 24. Like we're pretty, humans are pretty close, which is probably because of like adaptation but mice actually naturally like if you put them in total darkness they run at about a 23 hour cycle what whoa that's so when we put them in our 12 hour 12 hour light dark that's actually not their natural cycle yeah that's one of the things i'm looking at right now what's up with mice what are they well different animals i guess i just i know i know mice for sure that's the one we all live on the same planet yeah, I don't, I don't really know exactly that's amazing. why, but yeah. So I wonder if that's metabolically linked or oh, something. Maybe, probably. We'll ask them. I mean, mice are also <laughs> nocturnal, whereas humans are diurnal. So like, they're oh, active at night. Huh. Fast. This is all fascinating. Whoa. Wow. So, Cassandra, you mentioned you're preparing for your comps. Oh yes. <laughs> so that comps stands for comprehensive exams, correct? Yeah. So let's talk a bit about that. So PhD students typically have to do comps. Do you want to describe for our audience what the hell that means? So comprehensive exams is what takes you from being a PhD student to being a PhD Mm -hmm. candidate. And from my understanding, from talking with postdocs and research associates that didn't even go to school in Canada, this is everywhere. Everyone has to do some sort of comps in every discipline. At my school, how it works is you have to write, it's a two-part thing where 
you either do one written, one oral, or the new thing is you can do two written because some of us are iffy on giving presentations, (laughs) (laughs) Um, myself included. So you have to pick a topic that's outside of your discipline. So like within the field, so I'm doing my PhD in psychology. So it has to fall under the field of psychology, but can't be directly related to anything I'm doing in my project. Whoa. Interesting. They make you do a whole research project, like a science fair. And they're like long papers, (laughs) (laughs) which is like, it is cool because I mean, I got into research because I actually like researching and it's been a while since I've really gotten to dive down some rabbit holes of things I have don't know, which is, I mean, what really got me into research in the first place. And it's a lot, although like Concordia at least is really good. We have a class that sort of, we work with a prof and other students and we discuss what we want to do and get feedback from each other. And then you have a committee who also is more expert in the field that you're picking and you can discuss Hmm. with them. But it's just stressful in the sense of like, it matters so much and it's something that you know, you're spending all your time focusing on some really hyper-specific part mm-hmm. of a pro- in an area of research. So, like, I mean, they always say when you technically, by the time you defend your PhD, you should be like the most knowledgeable person mm-hmm. on this very specific area of research. And all of a sudden, they're like, "Okay, that's cool, but do something else." And you're like, "Oh, <laughs> right. I, I'm not sure I remember how to do that." So, like, one of mine was on the role of um, sex differences in alcohol drinking behavior. Oh, Mm. very different from your research. Very different. Wow. Very interesting. I went to the Concordia, had this symposium that I helped organize, but um, uh, on the importance of sex as a biological variable. And of course, gender is its own important variable. And it is so important that we tease the two apart. But obviously in animal research, uh, we can only really assess sex so some of the pre- presenters we had were talking about how even now there's so much more research that only includes animal, uh, male animal models mm-hmm. because people think that female animals are like too variable. And I'm like, really? Even in animals, we're like discriminating based on sex? All those complicated hormones of periods. <laughs> right? And I was shocked. And then the more I dove into it for my comps, the more I was just like really surprised mm-hmm. by right. how much research... And in my own field, like in neuroscience, yeah. it doesn't use female samples. And then we're like generalizing that this part of the brain does this and this very important behavior, but we're like, but only in men. Or right. uh, we're apply. assessing like with alcohol drinking, they were, they were looking at the use of um, ketamine to potentially like mm. help ameliorate the effects during withdrawal. And many early studies were saying like, oh, it doesn't work. But then they were like, they included females. And they're like, oh, no, it actually works really well in females. <laughs> it's like, oh, cool. Well, it's like the symptoms of a heart attack. I remember hearing mm-hmm. how, you know, we spent all these times on these stupid acronyms and stuff for heart attacks. So that's all only only applicable to men. And the signs of a heart attack are very different. Very different. Yeah. 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 No, it's a problem. Problem. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's, that was honestly the like takeaway. I like got very yeah. into it was writing up this conclusion about how honestly, most research honestly needs to be redone. If it's mm-hmm. never been done in female samples, then how can we generalize it? And yeah. we can. I like dug down, obviously I was doing alcohol, but like dug down the drug way and it's all these drugs that have been made and only tested on males. And I'm a little, oh a little scariest being a woman in the world. Of course. Yeah. So for your comps, you have to do these two big paper. Like, are these publishable potentially yeah. at least? In, in, okay, in theory, good. they're supposed to be. Although okay. again, I'm iffy to know how good mine actually will be, but in theory it could be. Yeah. Um, As like a review article. Although ours are posed mm-hmm. in the frame of like, 
a question, but it could be as a review. They're pretty long. Ours are like 6,000 to 7,000 words. Whoa. So I assume That's you'd have to like short. shorten it a lot for publishable, but it definitely that is part of the point is that you could go forth and publish it. And obviously in academia, that's sort of a necessary asset. Right. I know some faculties also do like a, an exam where yeah. you like test it on yep. your knowledge, yeah. general knowledge of the field so that you like, we're not, you know, graduating PhD candidates and, 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 and doctors who like don't have a, like a base, not like they only know their specific subset of the field. And so that, that doesn't seem to be the case here. No, but I've, I've definitely heard of that. Or I heard yeah. of someone else saying that they like they got a topic for a paper and then they had a week to write. it, But like they didn't get to come up. I got to pick that topic. Mm -hmm. It right. just had to be outside. But I at least got to like yeah. think about what I'm interested in talking about and go for it. Yeah, I had a friend in geography who who their comps like they had to like sit by the computer and wait for a specific time when they would be sent a topic. And then they had like 24 hours or some insane yeah. timeline to write. Yeah, a, a whole crazy. properly formatted cited paper, and I just remember, like, <laughs> and they had like a couple. There's like a couple of them, right. so it was like this insane week that That's they had. Scary. And then mine were very different. My comps, which was seems to be pretty typical of the biological sciences, where you only talk about you talk about ourselves like you you talk about your specific project so like we do it when you're a couple years in so you talk about like the research you've conducted up to that point your proposed research and then you're prepared to defend so usually that talk is like 15 minutes so that's often open so you can have people there to be there to sort of cheer you on and then the defense of of the comp is private so everyone has to leave and then you have to answer questions for like two mm. hours but it's about your research it's not about a whole other topic right. and it doesn't stretch too far from it so everything that you're putting into it is completely Applicable, useful for right. the thesis i know in, in a lot of physics departments uh, the test is basically the entire undergrad curriculum <laughs> like you can be tested on <laughs> anything that you took in your undergrad uh, oh so, it's a, so you have to study all of it and then you have to know it but because physics is so interconnected well, yeah because it's so easy <laughs> it's pretty trivial you do it in like half an hour totally. physics uh, but yeah yeah you have to basically just go okay well i have to now go over all everything so let's talk about little cassandra was little cassandra always interested in behavior and psychology like how would you describe your path to getting where you are now so i've had to think about that i was applying for <laughs> i'm like writing up like a, a thing for one of those funding awards mm -hmm. um and they were like how did you get here and i feel like i'm talking to people and they're like oh i remember being like four years old i don't think so i think at four years old i thought i was going to be like an artist sure. i have zero artistic capabilities like a stick <laughs> figure is absolutely but like i'll give my mom and dad and siblings like merit they were like you're so good and i was like, looking back i'm like i used to just draw like one circle and that was the body and face perfect and then just Nailed like it. And they were like, this is amazing. And I was like, going to be an artist. I think I then went to be a basketball player, which Whoa. I'm 5'4 on a good day. So I also don't know where that was coming from. Wait, what are you on a bad day? <laughs> probably probably not quite five. I mean, I, five, three, I, three, my yeah. driver's license, I was like confused. And I think I actually wrote 5'6 on like how oh. tall I am. But like, that's not true. I made the same mistake because I remember what? in Ontario when yes, they asked for Ontario your driver's asked. license. So like, how tall are you? Yes. Like you in, panic. Cent in centimeters. Six, centimeters. Well, they asked in centimeters. I was like, I don't know. I, I remember I said something that I checked afterwards was like 5'11 or something insane. Yeah, I think is, I said like wait, 166 like, centimeters, which uh, is I don't know. not. I'm three meters. Who knows that? I lied. <laughs> but it so 
and I also have no um, like depth perception, so mm. I'm not yeah. particularly. <laughs> so sports good might not be. I always liked science. I have mm. been one of those very fortunate people who have had some really amazing mm. teachers and professors, mm. starting from elementary school, where I was like obviously testing the limits of life. I had a really amazing science teacher. He had the cool science lab. He would talk to me about things, and he encouraged me that like I could actually be curious and like that's okay. And I was like, this is great. Nice. I think I like that science. Great. High school, I got really lucky having some really, really amazing teachers because obviously high school is that time being a teenager, you just go a little wild, you're a little, you know, <laughs> but I had some really amazing teachers who encouraged me to like keep going with school and like, nice. you could do this. And then beginning of undergrad, I think I stopped caring a little bit. And I was like, oh, this is so fun being in university. Yeah. And then I got really lucky and met my professor, Dr. Hood, who totally led me to where I exactly am today. Wow. She was a new hire at our school and she let me into her research lab. I took all her classes. She mentored me to go to a conference for the first time, Amazing. helped me apply to after undergrad before I started uh, my master's. I did research uh, a couple labs just to figure out exactly what I wanted to do and she encouraged me to figure it out. She helped me find my current supervisor, who was wow. her supervisor, because I was like, nice. I want to be you. <laughs> um, and then that's how I ended up here studying circadian rhythms, which mainly was from the brain. I had, I had mm -hmm. seen some people who had fallen to things like Alzheimer's, and I was just so curious. Like, it's mm -hmm. so sad. And uh, in my own family, and I just wanted to know how. And anytime mm -hmm. I would, like, try to research, like, look up, like, how does it happen? Everyone's like... We don't know, but we're working on it. And I was just mm -hmm. like, we know how everything else happens. Yeah. Why don't we know this? And then, you know, people encourage me to like, go figure it out. Then go cool. try to understand the brain. And mm -hmm. from all of what I learned from Dr. Hood, I was like, okay, circadian rhythms are a really good way to look about yeah. this. And then she led me to her supervisor and where I'm in the Amir lab at the CSB at Concordia. And uh, my supervisor here is like, you know, if you have a good reason for doing something, let's let's talk about it. And so first year we started looking at this project. We didn't know where it was going to go and shocked by the results, but we're still just moving forward and learning more about all these little clocks. Awesome. That sounds incredible. And that you've like found that mentorship. Mm -hmm. That's so key, right? Like that support very from lucky. one one person or group of people to, to encourage people and encourage that curiosity. And it sounds like you've had several mm -hmm. great mentors yeah. along the no, way. No, I definitely have been very, very fortunate to have some incredible teachers and profs. Yeah. Right. Good job. Good teachers. Good job. Good teachers. Yeah. Changing lives out here. Literally a good teacher can change the world. Absolutely. <laughs> now my question is also <laughs> going to be about dog paddleboarding. <laughs> What's the deal? With... Is the dog doing the, is the paddling? Do yeah, is it the dog's Doggy paddle paddling boarding? boarding? I wish. <laughs> um, okay, so we have this dog, Denver. We got him from a humane society. He had a, he had a very rough life about Aww. it. He went from quite a few organizations to rescuing mm. dogs from, like, kill shelters to get them into no-kill shelters. Um, I think he actually ended up starting in Missouri. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And he knows a few tricks, like <laughs> give paw and... Turn around, like like things like that that okay. most dogs that were always strays wouldn't know. So we do think that he might have mm. at one point maybe got lost or mm. I don't know. We don't really know. But he ended up in this tiny little humane society in Western Gatineau. Mm. And uh, my mom just happened to go. She uh, 
she is an animal person. We've always, <laughs> always had animals. And she met Denver. And she was like, okay, bring him home. <laughs> Sent me a text and said, this is our new dog. Wow. And I was like, okay. And then I like fell in love. I mean, I, I decided when I'm older, I'm going to have like 42 dogs. <laughs> That's um, even numbers. So they all have a best friend. Right. Yeah. But I started to just like, he was just, he bonded to me really quickly. Mm. and wanted to be where I was. And then one day we were, I was on a lake and he was just sort of like sitting on the dock and I was going to go paddleboard. And I was like, I can't leave you alone. <laughs> so I put like a little kid life jacket on him because like safety first. Right. And then he came on and the first couple of times he stood between my legs and was like, I don't like this. And I was like, you can go back. But then he was like, I don't want to. <laughs> and then he just sort of eventually got comfortable with it. And now he lies on the front of my paddleboard, mm. tries to drink the water, which tips the paddleboard <laughs> a little bit. Like, we're working on that. We're, that part's a little bit like when he's like, oh, I want lake water. Here's some water. Yeah. He's trying to challenge you. I, I got the idea. My sister-in-law has been doing it with her dogs forever on like the ocean too. Oh, like, wow. It's of the ocean, but they live in Vancouver Island. So Wow. Like the real ocean. That's pretty cool. That's pretty sweet. Well, Cassandra, this has been fantastic. Best of luck on your comps. You're going to kill it. Yeah. Thank you. And good luck with the rest of your research. And thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. All you right. Bye. 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 How fascinating was that? Oh, wow. Circadian rhythms. I don't really think, I know about, like, I've heard <laughs> of them, but I don't think about them. I always think of cicadas. <laughs> I don't think they're related. Um, I think that's it for us. Yeah. So you want to send everyone out on our socials? Yeah, the social. Uh, you can find us at LRG Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, LRG Pod. If you'd like to be a guest on this show, just send us an email at learnrealgoodpodcast at gmail.com. That's learnrealgoodpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're a fan of the show, please leave us a comment and a five-star review. It helps get the word out there about our show. And that's it. We learned a lot of today about circadian rhythms. We learned about Voyager. And fish sounds. Fish sounds. The blah, 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 blah. That's right. That's what fish that's sound fish like. Sounds All like. right. Thank you, Cassandra. Thank you, Vinny. Thank you, Katie. Bye, folks. Bye-bye.